Today on Blue 58, it's been a month since the Packers met an NFC North opponent, but this weekend they welcome the Minnesota Vikings to Lambeau Field. At 4-5, and five, the Vikings may not look like much, but there may be some reason for caution. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. We're going to talk Vikings here in a second, but there's a couple things I want to catch up on from... The episode that was supposed to come out on Wednesday uh, had some family stuff going on that day. I was dealing with a hellacious migraine headache, so ended up not hitting the recording window. And by the time we had a chance to record, figured let's call it a day, head to bed, and we'll get it on Thursday. It's now Thursday and Friday or later when you're hearing this. So let's circle back to some of the stuff that I had prepared for the Wednesday episode. Kind of getting a double feature for this this one. So um, yeah, let's talk about that kind of stuff. First, I want to spend some time talking about A.J. Dillon. He had a really good game last Sunday. And I think everybody in the Packers kind of community understood, hey, this is a great game. Guys taking over, getting a big role, and really helped the Packers put that game away down the stretch. But I saw some discourse online among the analytics community, football analytics, that was kind of weird, and I thought it was worth talking about. In summary, a couple of the louder members of that community thought it was bad at the time for the Packers to take a running back because taking a running back 62nd overall in the second round uh, in the 2020 NFL draft was a bad use of resources. And even if if A.J. Dillon is playing well now, it doesn't mean that that was a good decision and that they still should feel bad for taking a guy who turned out to be a good player. Now, I got to put my cards on the table because in a vacuum, I actually agree. And at the time, I did say that it wasn't a terribly good use of resources, but there's more to it than that. There is more to this discussion than was it a good, was it an optimum use of resources to take A.J. Dillon at 62 in the second round uh, in 2020 for a couple reasons. First, uh, we've done studies in the past and talked about them at length on this very show that show running backs that are producing for teams the best, most productive running backs in the league tend to come from the high rounds in the draft, first round, second round, third round. Relative to the other, uh, the impact of other positions, though, running back is still pretty minimal, and that's where the analytics folks have a case. Even if you draft a guy who turns out to be a great running back in the second round, chances are the impact he's having on your team is not as good as what a, a different guy at a different position could be. That is true as a general approach. But the question here isn't whether or not it's true that other positions are more impactful than running back. The question here was taking, was, is, was taking A.J. Dillon 62nd overall better than taking someone else they could have had at that spot. So let's take a look at that. I'm going to be using Pro Football Focus's big board to substantiate a lot of the data in this discussion. So their big board from 2020, their top 100 players, as a matter of fact. Because when the Packers drafted at spot number 62 in 2020, only 40 of Pro Football Focus's top 100 players remained. So should they have taken one of those other top 40 players? A.J. Dillon wasn't on their list of those 40 remaining guys. But that doesn't mean that it was those, all those guys would have been a good choice. Because of those 40, a bunch of them went later, so they're not really worth talking about. A bunch of guys went like in the 6th, 7th round, and you weren't going to take one of them in the second round. So who on this list should we talk about? Who should we really be comparing to A.J. Dillon? I'm going to say it's guys from that top 40 list or top 100 list who were on the board when the Packers could have taken them 
between 62 and 94 in the 2020 draft. Why 94? Because that's when the Packers picked again. And I think we should limit our discussion here to guys that pro football focus thought were good, that the NFL agreed should have been taken about the time when the Packers were drafting A.J. Dillon. So that alone trims our list to 14 names. We're down to 14 guys. And we'll talk about each of them in turn here. Because we can take about 11 of those names off of our list for reasons that make sense if you stop and think about it even for a second. First up, Zach Moss and Antonio Gibson. Both running backs, and if you thought A.J. Dillon was a bad pick at 62, those guys probably got to go too as well. Then I think there are a bunch of guys who are not real good fits for the Packers. Jordan Elliott, a defensive lineman out of Missouri. Middling athlete, unproductive pass rusher in college. That doesn't fit the profile for the Packers. Ashton Davis, a safety out of Cal. No good testing numbers, so we don't know where he's at athletically. Not productive making plays on the ball in college. Pretty much just a deep safety, which doesn't align with what the Packers like. They like guys that can either cover the slot or play in the box. They don't want those deep center fielder types. They tried it with HaHa Clinton Dix. Didn't work out. Willie Gay, linebacker out of Wyoming. Packers weren't going to draft a linebacker in the second round. That's just not what they do. Kind of the same deal as running backs, right? Unless you can get a super elite one, you might as well just try to get a couple good ones later on for cheap. And that's worked out for the Packers by and large. Look what they've got in Devondre Campbell right now, one of the highest graded linebackers in the league. Nobody wanted him. The Packers picked him up, stuck him in the right system, and away they go. Beyond that, uh, Chris Barnes, undrafted free agent, perfectly serviceable at linebacker. Not a super elite guy. The Packers aren't looking for a super elite inside linebacker, and they're finding guys that are just fine elsewhere. Jonah Jackson, an Ohio State guard, again, middling athlete, exclusive inside line or inside inside offensive lineman. Packers don't really draft that kind of guy by and large. They like guys that play tackle in college who are athletic, moving them inside. Zach Bond. Uh, linebacker edge type from Wisconsin, same kind of deal as Willie Gay. Playing off the ball, you better be super elite or they're not even going to look at you. Cameron Dantzler, defensive back out of Mississippi State. He has a relative athletic score of 3.01, not coming to Green Bay. Neville Gallimore, defensive lineman out of Oklahoma. Low relative athletic score, low productivity nose tackle. That's not coming to Green Bay. Darnay Holmes, defensive back out of UCLA. 3.63 relative athletic score, just like Cameron Dantzler, Enough said there. That's a bunch of names coming off their list there. I, I don't know what you want um, if you're <laughs> among those guys. They're, they're not coming to Green Bay. So that leaves us with three guys remaining from the 40 available uh, who weren't, who were theoretically in play for the Packers at 62 among the guys that were drafted relatively close to A.J. Dillon. You've got Josh Jones, a tackle out of Houston. You've got Julian Aquara, an edge out of Notre Dame. And you've got Terrell Lewis, an edge from Alabama. Would one of those guys have been better than A.J. Dillon? Start with Josh Jones. Packers have had need for offensive line depth for some time. That's true. But had the Packers taken him in 2020, he would have been a backup for his entire first season. Might have played some tackle, but would he have been as good at tackle as Billy Turner? as Elton Jenkins, as Rick Wagner? We won't know, but that's the question. Jones is playing guard for Arizona this year. Pro Football Focus has him graded at a 51.8 for the season. Not great. And for comparison, Royce Newman is a 50.6. So 
at least in some respects, you could argue that the analytics community, pro football focus maybe, would prefer that the Packers have drafted a bad lineman as opposed to a good running back. Okay, maybe that's not the strongest case. What about Julian Aquara? Edge rusher. Edge rushers are super valuable, right? Well, he'd have been the fourth edge rusher for the Packers in 2020 behind Zedarius Smith, Preston Smith, and Rashawn Gary. How would that have worked out? Well, probably not super great because he barely got on the field as a rookie in Detroit. Not exactly spoiled for choice on the edge. And he had a 35.5 defensive grade from Pro Football Focus. Four pressures only on 41 pass rushes for the entire season. This year he's a little bit better, 68.8 according to Pro Football Focus's grade, 12 pressures on 91 pass rushes. Again, not getting a lot of opportunities on a pretty talent-starved Detroit Lions team. So you've got another guy at a premium position who the Packers could have taken, but he hasn't been all that great. What about Mr. Lewis, the third of our three guys? He's been pretty good as a part-time player for the Los Angeles Rams. Five sacks in 18 games. He's got a 50.6 overall defensive grade this year from Pro Football Focus. Doesn't look super great, but he does get pressures fairly consistently. Again, five sacks in 18 games over two seasons. But if he was so great, why did they go out and trade two draft picks for Von Miller? Do the Rams even think he's all that good? The point here basically, then, is that the Packers who picked a running back, who turned out to be pretty good, over some other guys who have turned out to be not so good. And that brings me to a bigger criticism, I guess, about analytics sometimes. Not everybody, but sometimes. It feels like some of these guys, it seems like some of the people who do this kind of work, which is valuable and useful and helpful, but it feels like some of them would rather do things for what they say are the right reasons than ultimately be right. Those are two different things. Doing things for the right reasons and being right are two different things. Getting things right, making the right decision. And I get that. I get that approach. You want to be right in your process. We talk about process and outcome a lot. I call it the process outcome matrix. Ideally, you want to get build a good process that produces good outcomes for your football team. That is the ideal. But the ideal and the goal are two different things. The ideal is to have a good process and a good outcome. But the goal is just that good outcome, no matter how you get it. Whether you've got to spend draft picks or free agent money or trade guys or whatever. Even if you've got to spend a premium, you've got to get to the good result somehow. And it feels like some in the analytics world would rather pick a guy who turns out to be bad, having used a good process, than get fired from your NFL job, assuming you have one, and never get another job in the NFL, and then sit at home for years and talk about how right they were to do something that turned out badly just because it fit their model. Getting a good outcome with a bad process is preferable, even if it's painful, to getting a bad outcome with a good process. If the Packers sat there at 62 and said, hey, the best guy we think, the guy that we think is the best is A.J. Dillon. But there's not a lot of positional value there, so we're going to take this other guy. We don't think he's as good, and if he turns out to be not as good, it's going to hurt our team, but this is the right decision to make. I could even agree that A.J. Dillon may not be the best process. I've said as much in the past, but he's been really, really good, and he's been better than other guys, a lot of them that might have made more analytical 
since. And even to that point, there were a lot of guys that the Packers liked that said pretty openly that they liked that just didn't fall to them in 2020. Brandon Ayuk, Justin Jefferson, Michael Pittman, Chase Claypool. A bunch of those guys were Packers targets and they either couldn't trade up far enough to get to them or they just didn't break their way in the draft. They took a guy they thought was the best, one of the best remaining guys. You can apply this same sort of thing to Jordan Love and still have it be ideally consistent or ideologically consistent, by the way, because the ultimate bottom line remains the same. If bad process yielded a good player in A.J. Dillon, that still meets the ideal there. The ideal is getting the good player. But if bad process yields a bad player, that is probably a fireable offense. Because not only have you not built something that you even adhere to, you're not producing good players with your, your bad machine. And that, I think, is where Brian Gutekunst can walk a dangerous line sometimes. But this is a dangerous business. Dangerous, you know, for your long-term career prospects. I should say not dangerous as in anything's going to happen to you if things go badly. But that is, that's the stakes here. Your process has to work, whether it's a good one or a bad one. And if it doesn't, you're going to be out of a job. In A.J. Dillon, they found somebody who's really good. In Jordan Love, maybe not. We haven't seen really for sure yet. Uh, but that is the that is where the conversation is going to be. As long as you're getting good players, it doesn't matter how you get them. And the Packers got somebody pretty good in A.J. Dillon. Also have to catch up on a couple roster moves here. The Packers made two worth noting, though they have there have been uh, quite a bit more. Uh, they've added two running backs that we haven't really talked about, Ryquel Armstead and Kareth White, both to the practice squad, though I imagine both will be getting time on the active roster here in the relatively near future. Let's start with Mr. Armstead, five foot eleven, two hundred and twenty pounds, went to Troy. Best season was twenty eighteen, two hundred and ten carries, one thousand ninety-eight yards, and thirteen touchdowns. He was picked by the Jacksonville Jaguars in the fifth round in twenty nineteen. Thirty-five carries for hundred and five yards as a rookie. Got real badly sick with COVID in twenty twenty, and uh, that wiped out his season. But he's a pretty good athlete overall. Seven point seven two relative athletic score. Not so great in the agility drills, but he is pretty stellar in a uh, in a straight line and at 5'11", 220 pounds, moving mass pretty well. No kick return upside, which we should note here, is pretty odd considering the needs the Packers have there. He did two at Troy, and that's about it. But overall, a nice big-bodied back to have around. Now, Kareth White is slightly different animal here. 5'10", 204 pounds, bit of an asterisk on that height there. I've seen some places lift him on the short end of five foot nine. He's coming out of Florida Atlantic, was drafted by the Bears in the seventh round in 2019, but didn't make it out of training camp. Ended up with the Steelers for that season, 24 carries, 122 yards, 14 kick returns for 264 yards uh, while with the Steelers. Last thing there is noteworthy. Bounced around a few different practice squads for 2020, now ends up with the Packers in 2021. He is a great athlete, 868 relative athletic score, but also pretty much just a straight liner. 437 40 yard dash, but agility drills are pretty poor, which kind of makes him sound like a kick returner, guy who can get going pretty quick in a straight line. The Packers have needed somebody with some juice there pretty much since Kylan Hill went down. 
And White was great at that in college. Career average of 26.1 yards per return, average 25.7 yards per return on 39 returns in 2016. And I think the Packers probably want him for that. It is going to depend how quickly they think they can get him up to speed, whether or not he plays this weekend. I would say, why not? Kick returning isn't all that complicated, and I wouldn't expect that they're going to use him for much beyond that, given that they've got A.J. Dillon and Patrick White, or Patrick Taylor, excuse me, uh, and uh, could probably get by with Randall Cobb and Amari Rogers if they needed to do some more at running back beyond that. White probably is a pretty solid option as a kick returner. In terms of punts, not so sure. They're probably going to stick with Amari Rogers just because it seems they've been pretty stubborn with him so far this year. If they do make a change, I would still prefer Randall Cobb at this point, but um, you never know. Maybe they try a guy like like White, even though he hasn't shown a ton of uh, aptitude for that over his career to date. All right, let's shift gears and talk here about the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings have had kind of a strange year. We talked about them being an old annoyance last week, so I won't rehash my feelings about that. Instead, let's characterize this as a very good test for the Packers. Packers have played a lot of a pretty specific kind of team so far this year. It's teams that like to pass a lot, and not just pass a lot, but pass in a specific way. It's a lot of spread-heavy, almost air raid-type stuff that they've seen from teams over the past past couple of months, and they really haven't faced a run-heavy, downhill team pretty much since the San Francisco 49ers. But the Vikings are a pretty run-heavy team. And Kirk Cousins running their wide zone play action scheme type stuff can execute you to death on a good day. That sounds redundant, but I think you understand the football speak there. So if the Vikings defense holds together and or is healthy enough to play, I think this could be a tight contest. In theory, they could match up pretty well with the Packers and should present the Packers an interesting look here. If the Packers can handle a different kind of team, that should say quite a bit about this team going forward. The Vikings have kind of lived on the edge this year. All five of their losses and all but one of their wins are by seven points or less. That is pretty crazy. I've not seen something like that in quite a while. They've they've lived, well, lived on the edge, like I said. Tight games all around. Are they underachieving, though? Eh. In terms of the points that they've scored and how their games have shaken out, expected win-loss would put them at 4.7 and 4.3. That's not too much worse than their 4-5 and five record. Underachieving then, yes, but not by much. Kind of just a weird season for them. Kind of sounds familiar. Packers have also had a pretty weird year, just in a, in a very different way. But I sympathize with Vikings fans who are going through a bit of a weird season. When the Vikings are on offense, they will be helmed by a quarterback, Kirk better-than-nothing Cousins. I joke a little bit there because he's been putting up pretty excellent stats this year, although it doesn't appear to be making much of a difference for the Vikings. Uh, he's 231 of 339 passing on the year for 2,400 yards, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions, a passer rating of 100, uh, 104.0, right on the dot. According to Pro Football Focus, he's having an elite season with an overall grade of 90.8. That is the best mark of his career. Good season so far for Kirk Cousins. And that kind of plays into the Vikings' overall strengths as a team. They're strong at quarterback. They're strong with their skill positions. They've got good receivers uh, in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. They've got a good running back in Dalvin Cook. And they've got Kirk Cousins. You should be able to move those ball, the ball with those guys. Except, except, except. 
for the Vikings' continual struggle with the offensive line, particularly their pass blocking. They are graded as one of the worst pass blocking teams in the league. They are 30th by team pass block grade, according to Pro Football Focus. They are 25th in ESPN's pass block win rate, and they rank a whopping second by Football Outsiders' adjusted sack rate. Yep, weird outlier there. Never seen something quite like that before. Sometimes their adjusted sack rate numbers give you a little bit of a boost compared to uh, pass block win rate and Pro Football Focus's pass blocking grades, but I've never seen somebody rank 30th on one end of the spectrum and then second by sack rate. Just kind of weird. Sometimes that happens. Just want to mention Jeff- Justin Jefferson in passing here. We talked about him being one of their great uh, skill position players. He is 6'1", 195 out of LSU. In his second season, he's got 55 catches, 775 yards, and four touchdowns this year. Uh, he had 1,400 yards on the dot on 88 catches as a rookie. He's legit. He's really good. And the Packers were big fans, apparently pre-draft. It's easy to wonder what could have been. What if he falls to the mid-20s there, the Packers take him instead of Jordan Love? What would the internal politics be like in Green Bay now? How would he fit into this offense? What would their offense look like? Got to wonder, uh, but we'll never know. Packers offense then uh, matching up against the Vikings defense. How's that look? Focusing on their strengths, the Vikings have been pretty good stopping the pass. According to football, uh, according, yeah, foot, according to football outsiders, yes, that's what I was trying to say. Uh, they are sixth by DVOA, though they are sounding a little bit of an alarm bell there, saying that could be some fool's gold there, given uh, just a couple really, really strong performances and a lot of kind of mediocre ones. But they still are also seventh by Pro Football Focus's coverage grade. This isn't a big surprise, even if there are some potentially misleading things going on behind the scenes there. They're still putting up good numbers, and Mike Zimmer's teams typically do a pretty good job against the pass. There you go. Uh, In terms of vulnerability, as good as they are as a team in terms of overall pass coverage, you can find individual weak spots. Mackenzie Alexander, for instance, he is their second worst graded cover man on the team. And in fact, all three of their top corners are among their worst graded coverage players. If Matt LaFleur can isolate those guys, not let the the Vikings play complimentary football on defense, neutralize their pass rush, isolate those guys, kind of take them on one by one, there is probably yardage to be had. And I would probably look at, at Devontae Adams working a lot out of the slot here because that is what the Packers tend to do when they want to isolate a specific coverage player. It gives Devontae Adams more rooms to work, more room to work, and lets him uh, pick on one guy specifically. In addition, uh, pass rusher Daniil Hunter is out, and uh, Anthony Barr is not looking good for Sunday. So if the Vikings were hoping to offset some coverage weaknesses by rushing the passer well, there may be some problems there too. That doesn't mean that there aren't formidable players up front for the Vikings. And I'd like to take a second to focus on Eric Kendricks. Not a big surprise here mentioning a a defensive player, uh, focusing on a defensive player on the Vikings. His name is going to come up. I just think he's a really interesting player because he's always been undersized, six foot, 232 pounds. But here in his seventh season, he's stuffing the stat sheet as much as always. He leads the team in tackles. He is tied for his first in interceptions with two. He's tied for second in passes defensed with four. He is third in sacks with four. He's just a really good player, and he's an interesting guy. Uh, making a living as a linebacker at six feet tall and 232 pounds is, is worth mentioning, and he's done it and done it well for a long time. 
In terms of the the advanced type stats that we like to focus on, production ratio and ball hawks, almost not worth talking about here. Uh, Because if you look at the top end of the Vikings pass rush, it falls apart in a hurry. Daniil Hunter is their top guy with a PR of 1.7, but he's on injured reserve. Everson Griffin is up next with 1.125 production ratio. That's good. Eight games, five sacks, four tackles for loss. Good on you. Eric Hendricks is next with a 1.0 even. Uh, we talked about him already, but he will get after the passer uh, with some creative pressures from Mike Zimmer. A lot of double-A gap blitzes from Minnesota. That is historically the way they like to get after the passer. Michael Pierce, their next up, next guy up, is also at a 1.0 in four games this year. But guess what? He is on injured reserve too. Beyond that, things drop off in a hurry. The next highest rated player in terms of production ratio is down at a 0.4. It doesn't even pay to dig that far because nobody is getting after the quarterback other than these top four guys, and two of the four are injured. In terms of ball hawks, safety Xavier Woods leads the way with 11, having a solid season there with Harrison Smith a little bit banged up. Eric Kendricks is next with 10, Daniel Hunter with 6, Everson Griffin with 6, Michael Pierce with 6, again two of those three on injured reserve, and Harrison Smith has 5. Dialing back to last year, when was the last time the Packers played the Vikings? It's actually been a while. It's been more than a year since the Packers played the Vikings. Last time was week eight of 2020. Packers had a weird thing last year where they played the Vikings twice before they even got to the Bears once, which is always kind of irritating for me. Just want that symmetrical season schedule. Want to get everybody on the division schedule at least once before we play anybody twice. It's not that complicated. That game was a frustrating game. Vikings came out with a with the win, uh, but it was the ultra-low possession game. 15 total, 7 for the Vikings, and they scored touchdowns on their first four. The Packers had eight. Uh, they turned the ball over on downs twice and ended the game with a fumble. Very, very windy game. Uh, made, this, made it weird, really. Uh, Kirk Cousins went 11 of 14 for 160 yards. Dalvin Cook, though, big game. 30 carries, 163 yards, three touchdowns, one of the ultimate examples of what we called Mike Pettin being surprised by the obvious. Glad we do not have to deal with that anymore. So who's going to win here? Let's talk paths to victory because that's, I think, the, the real story of this game. What do the Vikings and Packers each have to do to win? For the Vikings, I think they want to follow the path from last year. Shorten the game, execute, 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 run hard, run heavy, Force the Packers to get out of their light boxes and light defensive back looks that they love to run. And if the Vikings can do that and continue to execute well and run effectively, I think they've got a really good chance. Because the Packers like to play pretty short games too. Their pace of play is very slow. And if they play against a team like the Vikings that has the ability to move the ball on the ground and stay with them on the scoreboard, that could keep the Vikings in the game until late. And that's where things can get interesting. The Packers haven't really faced anybody who can do that kind of thing in quite a while. What about the Packers then? I think they might have to open it up a little bit. They're only going to have one of their two top-end running backs. So to really get to complementary football, to really help out their defense, they're going to have to get a lead. And the best way to get a lead, I think, against the Vikings might be to pass the ball. Let Devontae Adams work against some of their weaker defensive backs. Get a lead and make it so the Vikings can't run themselves back into this game. Get after Kirk Cousins with his relatively weak offensive line. 
you might have a pretty good shot at coming out with a win. And I think that's what the Packers can do. I have a lot of confidence in Joe Barry. I know it sounds weird to me too, to come up with a scheme that can take away what the Vikings are, are trying to do. That's what he's done for most of this season. Even in games where the defense hasn't looked good, you can see the game plan there, and it works a lot of the time. I think he can get the Vikings out of what they like to do. And if he can, and get them to do what the Packers want them to do, the Packers have a really good shot at winning this game, and I think they will. In terms of polls, 94.8% of eight percent, excuse me, of voters think the Packers are going to win this week. Uh, a lot of confidence going around about the Packers right now, and why wouldn't there be? They're 8-2 and two through 10 games. A lot of confidence in the defense, too. Packers defense as a unit has an approval rating of 100% this week in our Twitter polling. Joe Barry, defensive coordinator, up at 96.2%. Strange times in Green Bay because Aaron Rodgers is down to 47.8%. Who to believe that would be the case? Joe Barry, 96%. Aaron Rodgers, 47, just as we all suspected. I want to leave you with one last thought. Saw some concern going around today about David Bakhtiari not practicing yet or practicing and then not practicing. Matt LaFleur is sounding not super optimistic about him. I get the concern there. I'm not worried yet, and here's why. As we've said the past, well, almost a month now, three weeks, the Packers are not looking at individual games the same way that we are. Individual games are important, yes, but they are thinking long-term here. They are trying to peak as late as they can. And they're not going to be worried about David Bakhtiari unless David Bakhtiari cannot come back for the playoffs. Keep in mind that David Bakhtiari tore his ACL on December 31st, 2020. Hasn't been a year yet. Hasn't even been 11 months yet. We're sitting here at 10 and a half months post-ACL tear. The Packers want you to get to about 10 months uh, before they really start looking at you, coming back from an ACL. We're just really getting to that window. The Packers had to activate him when they did to get him back on the practice field. Otherwise, there was a chance they weren't going to have him back for the season at all. Well, there, it wasn't a chance. They weren't going to get him back for the season at all. They had to activate him, practice him for three weeks, and then decide to put him on the active roster or put him on IR for the rest of the year. That's what they did. They're working him back slowly, and I think even if he doesn't play this week, which I I doubt he is because he hasn't practiced this week, and even if he doesn't play next week against the Rams, I'm not going to be worried. However, if he's not back after the bye week, then I think we've got some concerns because then we're looking at 11 and a half months. We're looking at having less than a month to really tune up before the playoffs. That is the time... We need to be concerned. Not yet. I'm not saying your worries are wrong. I'm just saying let's let's try to gather them up, put them in a little container, put them on a shelf yet. We'll get them out in a couple weeks if it turns out that David Bakhtiari isn't playing yet. I'm still not betting against him. And coming back from an ACL is a long, long process. If there's anybody who can do it and do it well, I think it's David Bakhtiari. But it is it comes down to doing it well. Let him... Take all the time that he needs, get him back for the playoffs, get him back for that really crunch time portion of the stretch run, and then let's decide if we need to worry or not. That's all I've got for you on this episode. 
appreciate you listening in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would take this episode and share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to get more people on board with the show, get more people into this conversation you and I and everybody else are having around the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.